Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Clifton T. Perkins Hospital in Jessup, Maryland, is a sprawling, nondescript building. Surrounded by forests and located on 45 acres, the forensic psychiatric hospital has grown in size since its construction in 1959. Today, the nearly 300-bed facility is mostly home to patients who are charged with a violent felony and have been either deemed incompetent to stand trial or not criminally responsible, or an inmate too mentally ill to be in prison. One of those patients is Catherine Hoggle. She's a patient at this point and not a prisoner. Troy Turner is right. Perkins, as it's known, isn't a prison. But the mostly maximum security hospital would sure feel like one if you lived there. Maximum security patients can have limited ability to roam the building and grounds, and all patient buildings are surrounded by security fences. Even with this focus on security, last year, Perkins made the news after a union representing workers at the hospital claimed that assaults on both patients and staff had become routine. But despite the conditions, the restrictions on Catherine's movement, Troy Turner, the father of the two children Catherine is accused of killing, doesn't think Perkins is where his ex-partner should be. I think that she should be punished to the greatest extent that the law would allow. I think that she should stand trial like anyone who murders two children should stand trial, and I think that she should go to jail and go to prison. In earlier episodes, we talked about the complications police can run into when they are investigating a crime, especially when missing children are involved, that they have to balance the rights of the suspect with the urgency of solving the crime. And in Catherine's case, it was even more complicated because of her mental illness, as police tried to find out where she had taken her children, three-year-old Sarah and two-year-old Jacob. But that added complication doesn't stop once a person is arrested. It just continues as they make their way through the justice system. And there is a sense that it's at this point, as the accused is forced to answer for their crimes, that justice will be meted out. But that's not how things have gone in this case. 
For nine years, Troy has been living at the intersection of these systems as he contests Catherine's incompetency and advocates for what he considers justice for his children. He wants Catherine found competent to stand trial. He wants the evidence against her presented in a courtroom. I'm Beth Karras, and this is Unrestorable, an original podcast from Anonymous Content and iHeartRadio. We come from this very Puritan kind of heritage in our culture, and we're very punitive. This again is Tess Neal, a forensic psychologist at Iowa State University, who researches how the justice system copes with the mentally ill. We have just an extraordinarily high rate of incarceration in this country and a a kind of political narrative that we are tough on crime and we want to make sure that people don't get away with things. Then we also have this still pretty stigmatizing view of mental illness. I agree with Tess. For eight years as a prosecutor in New York City, I was on the front lines of this problem. Our prisons are full of people who are mentally ill. In fact, the National Alliance on Mental Illness says that two million people with mental illnesses are admitted to U.S. jails each year. But Catherine is not in jail. She's in a hospital. And until she can be declared healthy enough to help her defense attorney, she's not going to have to defend herself against criminal charges before a judge or jury, or face the threat of a prison sentence. And for Troy, that's the only way to get any justice. But you have to wonder why. Why isn't being locked up in a maximum security institution where your freedom is definitely restricted, why isn't that a form of justice? especially since it's very clear that Catherine does suffer from mental health issues. You know, I know one of the questions raised by this case and other cases involving competency is whether the criminal justice system adequately protects us from the mentally ill. My co-host Sarah Trelevin was with me when we interviewed Tess Neal. But there's also clearly another question to be asked about whether the criminal justice system serves the interests of and protects the mentally ill themselves. What do you think about the balance of those two ideas? So on the one hand, lawyers and the system has this kind of um, foundational assumption of how the process works, that we're in an adversarial system. And the way we work is that each party gets to offer their best version of the facts with a narrative, and they get to provide their evidence and the truth will out, right? So through that process, whatever the truth is, it's going to come to the fore. But when you have a situation where somebody is not a great advocate for themselves, whether it be because of mental illness or other reasons, sometimes that attorney is in a difficult philosophical, ethical dilemma between whether they're advocating for what the client is asking for, which may not be in their best interest as a human being, right? And so like maybe they do need treatment, maybe they are mentally ill. Um, And so there's definitely parentalistic legal representation where Maybe that's in the best interest of the person, but it's not consistent with the system of justice as we have designed it. And so that's a that's a hard problem, and it's not solved. This hard problem is not new. The insanity defense has been used in the U.S. since at least the mid-19th century. Since then, the laws have been reformed and case law has been codified. But remember, Catherine is not asserting an insanity defense. She can't do that or won't do that 
until she's before a judge preparing for trial. And she has to be found competent before that can happen. For years, Catherine appeared before judges who accepted reports from doctors that she was responding to medication and could likely become competent in the foreseeable future. After all, that was the goal, to restore her to competence so she could go to trial. This distinction, this idea that one cannot be tried if one cannot help with one's own defense, comes from a 1960 U.S. Supreme Court decision. It involved a man with a history of mental illness named Milton Richard Dusky, who was found guilty of the attempted rape of a young girl and sentenced to 45 years. He appealed. In ordering a new competency hearing, the U.S. Supreme Court laid out the test that is still used today. A defendant must properly understand the proceedings against him and possess the present ability to assist counsel in his defense. Dusky was retried, reconvicted, and his new sentence reduced to 20 years. Incompetence is a present state. This is Catherine's lawyer, David Felson. Someone is incompetent now, which means that they can't make, for, the, for whatever reason, can't make the various decisions necessary to assist in their defense or that they understand what's going on in court. We don't try those people for any crime because they can't defend themselves. They don't know what's going on relative to the legal process. Rules around mentally ill criminals continue to evolve. And in 1972, the U.S. Supreme Court held that you cannot hold someone for an indefinite amount of time in the hopes of restoring one's competency. There's a statute that now limits, and I think most states have this, but there's a limited period of time that you have to restore somebody to competence. John McCarthy is the state's attorney in Montgomery County, Maryland. That time frame has been uh, more severely limited in Maryland in more recent times. I, for instance, it used to be 10 years, now it's five years on, on felonies. For misdemeanors, it's three, which is why Catherine has been held for so many years now. She was initially held on misdemeanor charges for almost three years, but before that three-year window had expired, a grand jury indicted her for murder, and the state dismissed the lesser charges. Catherine was soon found incompetent to stand trial again, and that started a five-year clock, which has loomed ever since. And this is where Troy finds himself. We're going, okay, we have this clock ticking. If Catherine cannot be restored to competence, then she will either be civilly committed if a judge finds her to be a danger to herself or others, or released. But she will not face murder charges for now, because those will be dismissed. It's hard to kind of look at her and and know what she did and know that she's not held accountable for it, you know, and that there's a good chance that she'll never be held accountable the way that the system's working right now. And I'm just looking at her going, this is crazy. And there's nothing that we can do about it at this point right now. But it has to be made clear, Catherine is an outlier. Most defendants who are found incompetent are restored and end up in a courtroom. Most of them do not run out the clock. The best estimate we have is that something like 75% of people will be restored within, I think, a year. And typically that is 
through um, taking psychotropic medication. And typically it's even faster than a year. Typically it's within six months because medication typically works, you know, within a month or two. For Troy, the father of Sarah and Jacob, the man who nine years ago lost his two youngest children and still today has no idea where they are or what happened to them, none of this sits well with him. She manipulated the system. She manipulated the staff at Perkins. Um, the nursing notes in there say that she knows that they, the nurses are like, she's manipulating you guys, basically. They are writing to the Perkins doctors that they're being manipulated and she's lying. And it just doesn't matter. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. According to Troy and other members of the family, Catherine has been almost brazen about her plans to remain incompetent long enough to see the murder charges against her dismissed. Do you think it's possible for someone to fake incompetency in general? I mean, just anybody. I think it's possible, sure. I'm speaking with Catherine's attorney, David Felson. I mean, not in this case, not with these symptoms, not for this period of time, not under these circumstances, not taking these medications, not getting these therapies. But could somebody fake it? Sure. Uh, Beth, you could fake it. I asked Catherine's lawyer to describe the symptoms he's talking about. He wouldn't go into great detail, but told me he had represented her in the past for a minor traffic infraction. And the contrast between Catherine then and when he met her right after her arrest in 2014 was profound. That there was a clear disconnect between the circumstances that she found herself in and the way she would react to people that Catherine's eyes were darting around the room, that she spoke in hushed tones, 
and that she was obviously paranoid and delusional. Her hair was so messy, it looked like she had been living on the street for days. Catherine knew she was facing murder charges because that part of competency, she passed. I mean, she well, we, understood we the charge. Yeah, we conceded that, yes. Catherine is not stupid. I think that most people have a profound misconception of incompetency to stand trial. They think of incompetency when they hear that word. Their initial vision is someone who is incoherent, unable to communicate, sitting in the corner of a room, drooling, banging their head against the wall, and looking at imaginary butterflies and, and soiling themselves. That person would clearly be incompetent, but that is not the only definition of incompetence. Incompetence to stand trial is a much more complicated, nuanced circumstance. And here again we bump into the intersection of two competing systems. It's a perennial question in forensic cases like this, um, where there's some question of mental illness that's intersecting with the legal issue. It's something that Tess Neal has spent a lot of time thinking about. Malingering is when somebody is faking uh, some kind of mental illness in an effort to have their criminal charges dismissed. When clinicians are trying to assess for malingering, one of the things they're trying to assess for is, well, what's what's the motivation? Troy says he definitely knows Catherine's motivation. She knows exactly what's going on there. And I'm not saying that, you know, just as the father of these kids who wants justice. I'm saying that as someone who knows her, who has spoken with her since she has been locked up, you know, at times. And she doesn't appear to be any less cognizant of the situation than she was whenever she was explaining the entire system to me and telling me a rundown of, of how long she has to wait and be incompetent to get out. It's a complicated problem. The medical system Catherine is in is actively trying to get her healthy, healthy enough to stand trial. But that system is supported by doctors and nurses, and it raises questions about doing no harm. Should mental health professionals help make incompetent people well just so the system can prosecute them? What are the ethics of treating somebody, a human being, to then enable the legal system to prosecute that person? It gets even more complicated when you consider the death penalty. Catherine is not facing the death penalty. It was abolished in Maryland in 2013, only one year before Catherine is accused of killing her kids. But the American Psychiatric Association has weighed in on the question of restoring someone's competency if there is a threat of execution. That person has to be restored to competency before they can be executed. The American Psychiatric Association has come out very firmly against physicians being involved in that process. They have said it is against the Hippocratic Oath. It is unethical for a psychiatrist to provide treatment in that situation, to aid a person to restore their competence, to become competent for execution. But it's still a thorny ethical problem because sometimes people who are um, very psychotically ill are suffering. And so there's also this Hippocratic Oath problem of not helping the person when they are suffering. Um, so it gets very complicated at these intersection of systems, especially in that situation. And again, while Catherine is not facing the death penalty, Troy does believe that the doctors at Perkins are protecting her, helping her maintain incompetency rather than treating her. 
There is no therapy for them at Perkins until they are competent. So if you're profoundly mentally ill, I don't know how they expect to bring you to competence or have you get better if they're not giving you therapy. That makes no sense to me. At Catherine's latest competency hearing, the evaluating doctor from Perkins testified that Catherine was not in one-on-one therapy, since that's usually reserved for patients who have resolved their legal situation. We reached out to the Maryland Department of Health to find out more about why an IST patient, that is, someone incompetent to stand trial, at Perkins, might not receive one-on-one therapy in an effort to restore them to competency. We were told that it depends on the patient and their treatment plan. But Lucienne Parsley, an attorney with Disability Rights Maryland, has a different take. Based on her experience, she believes Perkins may actually discourage individual therapy for patients being restored to competency. Perkins believes that the individual might say or do something with respect to their case that might cause the staff to be subpoenaed and testify against them. And they don't want to do anything that could put the person at more risk of being convicted. Parsley is troubled by this lack of therapy. We see people who are really suffering because many of them have experienced traumas in their life. They're not getting trauma therapy. They're not getting PTSD therapies. Um, They're, you know, getting medication if they would agree to take it in the hospitals. But they're also kept on the most restrictive levels in the hospitals. This illustrates that complicated intersection of the justice system and the treatment of the mentally ill, and a conflict even with those presumably on the same side. It's so interesting because your organization, Disability Rights Maryland, is interested in the individual and getting them the care they need if they're suffering, like you say, from trauma, but they're not getting that proper care. But the hospital, Perkins, also feels like they're doing something in the best interest of the patient by withholding treatment so that they're not prosecuted. Yeah, I I think that is probably true. But to Troy, this is all irrelevant. The real truth of the matter is, Troy does not believe Catherine is incompetent at all. He believes that she is, in fact, well aware of the situation and is waiting things out. And he says she's being very deliberate about it. So on one side, you have incompetent, it goes to treatment, It goes down. Troy is describing a sort of drawing that Catherine made. It was on a handout that Perkins gave patients to explain the legal process. At the very top, there's a cartoonish drawing of a police officer blowing a whistle, his baton raised in the air like he's chasing down a suspect. Just below, there's a drawing of an inmate wearing the classic striped prison garb, looking dejected behind bars in a concrete cell. Troy wants me to notice what Catherine added. If you look on there, even in terms of incompetent, where it says not guilty and there's a home, she actually wrote streets on there. And then you have where being convicted leads to jail. NCR leads to where you would be home by then as an incompetent person. NCR stands for not criminally responsible, what we commonly know as not guilty by reason of insanity. For the pathways that lead Catherine out of jail and eventually out of Perkins, Catherine has drawn a cute little house, a curl of smoke coming from the chimney. It's literally just laid out as instructions. Here's how you get home at some point. 
According to this drawing, the paths are clear. Being found competent and then guilty leads to prison. Remaining incompetent and receiving ongoing treatment, never facing the court system, leads to that cute cartoon house. Look, when, when they give you a diagram, literally give you a diagram that basically says path to get out of jail and a path to go to prison. It doesn't sit well with Montgomery County State's Attorney John McCarthy either. And they explain to you on a diagram that she color codes. That was an, an, an exhibit and she discussed it with her husband. She knew exactly which road would keep her out of jail. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. What are the, some of the signs that, that practitioners look for that someone is malingering? What would be a tell? Um, just behavioral consistency across time and across um, context and situation. So what's the person acting like in their um, conversations and behaviors with family members and friends? If they're in custody, what is their behavior like in custody? What are the treatment providers who are seeing them in that environment and, you know, the the... Uh, people who are seeing them on the unit all the time, what are their notes like on a daily basis? If you find consistency that the person is struggling across all of those domains, that's much more compelling than if they're only having a problem when you're interviewing them. There's really good kind of psychometrically solid, um, scientifically based tools, measures that we have as clinicians that can that can tap into malingering. Like it's been studied quite a lot. We know what it looks like typically from people who are genuinely ill and people who are faking ill. The only people who are really successful at malingering would be somebody who's very sophisticated about what mental illness genuinely looks like. And yet, is it possible for somebody to 
appear lucid, to appear like a good advocate for herself, to appear self-interested and capable of strategic thought and still be not competent to stand trial for serious charges. Yes. Um, I can give an example. Sometimes delusional disorder is a, it's a type of psychotic disorder, but it doesn't have the same presentation as a, like a schizophrenia or something would have. So with a delusional disorder, a person doesn't have hallucinations. They don't see things that aren't there. They don't hear things that aren't there. So their main symptom with a delusional disorder is some kind of circumscribed fixed false belief, some belief that they truly think is real that is objectively not true. If that's significant enough, it can really derail things and really like mess up people's lives. And those are those are hard to treat sometimes, like psychotropic medication can't always treat that well. Um, so if a person is very sophisticated, a smart human being who is like doing just fine in life, but they have this like resistant and intrusive and problematic delusional disorder. Um, that can that can be a situation where the person might be lucid and this person could be perfectly capable of doing almost everything else in a life. That could be a, a reason why somebody might be found incompetent and might not be restorable because delusional disorder can be pretty resistant to treatment sometimes. Is it customary for an evaluator of competency to talk to the friends and family of that individual to get their perspective on whether the individual is malingering? Yeah. Although, again, it depends on the seriousness of the case. It depends on the training of the evaluator. It depends on yeah, how good of a job they're doing. Um, so in a system that is incentivizing quick and sloppy work, which sometimes is the case, if there's a contract, for example, for the evaluators and they get paid by the case and nobody is paying attention to the quality of what's coming in, then the incentive is, no, you don't do any of that. You talk to the person for 15 minutes, you write a shoddy report sometimes and submit it and you get your pay. That's a bad way to design a system. Um, it's also a bad way to do practice, but it does happen. But certainly it is the case that if somebody's doing a good job with an evaluation like this, that they will talk to um, collateral sources, certainly professional collateral sources, but often also non-professional collateral sources like friends and family members. So would you be surprised if in a case, family members had signed affidavits saying that they suspected a patient of malingering, that evaluators did not talk to those family members? If they knew about it. In all the years that Catherine has been held at Perkins, the doctors there never spoke to Troy, even though he says he's called the hospital at least 10 to 15 times over the years in an attempt to speak with them. Lindsay, Catherine's mother, says that she too hasn't been interviewed by Perkins. In an affidavit Lindsay signed back in 2015, she said, Catherine understands precisely what is going on in her case, and she is trying to work the system to her advantage. She has recently explained to me that if she is found to be competent, she will go to jail. In my most recent conversations with Catherine, she has been as clear-headed as I have ever known her to be. It's understandable why family members, like Catherine's aunt, Lee Blevins, who also signed an affidavit, are suspicious of Catherine and her incompetent status. 
She asks questions about me and our family members and tells me her opinions about them. She is quick-witted and responsive. She knows what she is doing. She is just choosing to act like she doesn't. These doubts about Catherine's behavior create an even more complicated situation for Catherine's own mother. The point that Troy made that's most important here is that Catherine um, is afraid of being charged further and going back to jail. She's now finally realizing that she does have a mental illness. She feels safe at Perkins. She wants to stay at Perkins. Lindsay Hoggle is addressing reporters in 2015, not long after another hearing where Catherine was found incompetent. She's very capable of being competent. Um, she, whether she's taking antipsychotic drugs or not, she's not taking the right mix yet. She understands the situation. The problem is she doesn't want to go to jail. It's as simple as that. But it's not that simple. In fact, years after making that statement, Lindsay has become more circumspect about her daughter. It was clear when Sarah and I visited her more than eight years after her grandkids had gone missing. It probably wasn't worded correctly, but my whole point about her being manipulative is that people with that serious mental illness learn to be manipulative because you've alienated everybody that's close to you. And so you have to find a street smart way to survive. That's the reality of it. Lindsay indicated that at the time she signed the affidavit and made those statements to the media, she was furious with Catherine because she wouldn't tell anyone what she did with the kids. I mean, early on, you know, I, I signed an affidavit and, you know, was very angry at the time, too, just that we're in this situation. Um, I don't know that you can fake incompetence in her world. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, there's been, you know, conversation, is she faking mental illness? No, <laughs> I can tell you no. Um, if anything, she has to be able to envision a safe place for her to be. And, and in my mind, I don't think she has one right now. I mean, Perkins is safe, I guess, if you use that. Um, but I don't think she's faking incompetence. Do you have any regrets about writing that affidavit? Um, you know, I've kind of come to terms with everything that I've done and just gone, you know what? You make good choices, bad choices. And, um, you know, I don't really regret it. Was yeah. she upset with you about the affidavit? <laughs> Livid. Lindsay is uniquely torn between loving her daughter and missing her grandchildren, between accepting that many of her daughter's actions have been directed by mental illness while acknowledging that Catherine is capable of taking more responsibility. She grapples every day with ambivalence about what justice could mean in this case. But the bottom line is that she wants Catherine to receive better treatment, not punishment. I think she could be competent to stand trial. I think she's capable of that. Um, I would hope that that's not where this goes. Um, after eight years, yes, I would like her to have one-on-one -on -one therapy. She asked for that. We're still calling treatment medication only. And if that's what you depend on for recovery, 
there's really little hope because the medications aren't great. And so, yes, I think she's recoverable. I think there's a difference between ability to meaningfully uh, assist with counsel and willingness to do it. State's attorney John McCarthy does not believe Catherine Hoggle is incompetent. She had the ability to assist counsel, but she wasn't willing to do it because it didn't serve her ultimate goal. If Catherine were to be declared restored and competent, if she were to face the charges of murdering her two small children, she'd have to decide on a defense, and the most obvious one, not criminally responsible. There's plenty of evidence that Catherine suffered from serious mental health problems her entire life. But she'd have to admit that, yes, she killed her children. You can't claim that you are not criminally responsible if you don't also admit that you did the deed. You know, the doctors that we consulted basically indicated one of the reasons that, particularly mothers who cling to insanity or incompetency, is, is because if you actually become competent, where you begin to be able to look at what you've done, the horror of what you have done in taking the lives of your own children is too unbearable to allow yourself to ever recognize you actually did this thing. So they cling to the incompetency because it, it's what protects them from having to come to grips with what they've ultimately done. She was desperate not to become competent, and you know she was terrified of going back to jail and being tried for the murder of her children. For the last eight years, Troy has done little else but advocate for Sarah and Jacob. He's pushed for Catherine's case to go to trial, but as long as she was declared incompetent, it was impossible. But in summer 2022, that just might change. A judge has indicated he no longer wants to rely on reports from the doctors at Perkins. He wants to assess Catherine's competence himself. That's next time on Unrestorable. You know, we still have a long way to go, and there's still a very good chance that come December, the charges will get dropped. But yeah. we have a chance to try to at least fight for Sarah and Jacob and fight for what should be happening. Unrestorable is executive produced and hosted by me, Beth Karras, and Sarah Trelevin. Our story editor is Kathleen Goldhar. Mixing and sound design by Mitchell Stewart. For anonymous content, Jessica Grimshaw is our executive producer. Jennifer Sears is our executive in charge of production. And Nick Yanez is our legal counsel. For iHeart, executive producer Christina Everett and supervising producer Abu Zafar. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.